Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. First things first, your girl tested positive for COVID antibodies this week. Just got the results in while I was on my way to come record this podcast, and uh, super pumped. No idea when I had COVID. My parents got it um, a year, almost, well, a year ago. It was around Thanksgiving that they got COVID, and I uh, I had a scratchy throat that same week for about 24 hours, and I was just, I thought to myself, oh, I'm for sure going to have COVID now, and and I, you know, thought the next day it was going to get worse, and and it went away, so I didn't think anything of it, Uh, but I'm I'm guessing that's when I had it. I'm not really sure, Um, but... Anyway, tested positive, got those natural antibodies, so I've been meaning to do the test for a long time and just hadn't gotten over to uh, the doctor's office to get it done, so finally did, and uh, that's check that off the list. So, what's going on around the world? Well, one of the best things on the internet this week was a video out of New York City where New Yorkers are seen taking their trash to Mayor de Blasio's mansion and dumping it over the fence into his yard. This is, of course, in reaction to de Blasio's vax mandate that provoked the sanitation workers to protest by not doing trash pickup. So the sanitation workers were protesting and not doing the trash pickups, and all the people said, what are we going to do? And so you can see this video where there's trash everywhere in his yard, and it's pretty brilliant. I would say go watch the video, but there's some foul language, so you can just take my word for it, unless you're okay with um, hearing some of that language in the video. So... Next, we had a self-proclaimed blue-collar truck driver, Edward Durr, who shot his campaign video on his cell phone and spent approximately $153 on his primary campaign, oust the longest-serving legislative leader in New Jersey state history, Senate President Steve Sweeney. The Associated Press officially called the state Senate race in southern New Jersey in favor of Republican candidate and commercial truck driver Edward Durr on Thursday, two days after Election Day. It was amazing. It was an amazing race to watch. He spent somewhere, I heard one um, report said $5,000 and then another said $10,000. So we'll just go with, you know, somewhere in between five and $10,000 is what he spent on his general campaign, but the primary campaign, he only spent $153. And then I heard like $67 of that was Dunkin' Donuts. So uh, sounds like a man of the people. That's all I got to say. So good for New Jersey. Now, on to some fascist news. The Biden administration is moving forward with likely its most controversial COVID policy yet. Uh, Not that any of them have not been controversial. Uh, A vaccine and COVID test mandate for private sector companies with more than 100 employees, ABC News reported on Wednesday of this week. So the Occupational Safety and Health Administration has advanced the rule under a temporary emergency provision that would apply to all private American businesses employing more than 100 workers impacting approximately 80 million Americans. And then Fox News reported a January 4th deadline has been set and of course, that prompted Republicans to warn that the mandate will will exacerbate an already critical worker shortage ahead of the holidays. Very true. Already seeing that happening in just the last two days. 
Unvaccinated workers will be required to undergo regular testing. Bloomberg reported the rule would permit employers to force workers who refuse the vaccine to pay for weekly tests and masks. And the weekly tests, you know, it can go from anywhere from $25 to $150. Just depends on where you're at. Depends on what test they require. And uh, I saw I had I have a friend who's been told that her husband will have to do do the weekly test. Actually, he has to be tested every four days. And I think the test was one hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred dollars, uh, if I remember correctly, what she told me. So separate from the OSHA rule, though, is a new rule from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that will require all healthcare workers and facilities participating in Medicare and Medicaid be fully vaccinated. Fox News reported that rule is set to go into effect January 4th and will affect more than 17 million workers at 76,000 healthcare facilities nationwide. The CMS rule, unlike the OSHA one, does not provide a testing alternative to vaccination. It does include medical and religious exemptions. Furthermore, OSHA plans to send out agents to check that workplaces are in compliance with the rule. For willful violations, a company can be fined up to $136,532. The standard penalty is $13,653 for a single violation. So, yes, fascist news. Also, there was an announcement that follow, quickly followed that they're looking into uh, this being necessary for small businesses too. So for businesses that have less than 100 employees as well. Um, I saw that announcement. So they're very quickly um, circling the wagons on this and trying to cover everybody. There's been an, oh yeah, I do have it on here. At least uh, 19 states have already, you can count 20 because South Carolina, the, the Attorney General of South Carolina here where I live has already announced, has joined as well that they're going to, uh, they're going to be pursuing legal action. 19 states have already done that. Of course, like I said, South Carolina joined into that. And so, including us, have already begun to pursue legal action against the Biden administration. Uh, the Job Creators Network, along with businesses such as the Lawrence Transportation Company, Guy Chemical Company, the Rabin Group, and the Independent Bakers Association, they filed a lawsuit on Thursday against the Biden administration for its, quote, clearly illegal shot coercion. And the Daily Wire, um, most all of you probably already heard, they filed a federal lawsuit in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. As Ben Shapiro said, this is about whether Americans ought to have liberty or whether administrative tyranny ought to rule our lives. I have already seen uh, South Carolina, the governor here, McMaster, has announced that he made an executive order, as well as the attorney general joining the lawsuit. He made an executive order that no state agencies could force the vaccine mandate. But I've also heard that that doesn't even matter because apparently federal OSHA has no jurisdiction over state agencies anyway. Uh, technically, I'm sure that there's a lot of technicalities in all of that. And the state agencies would have tried to force it anyway, even if OSHA technically doesn't have, the federal OSHA doesn't technically have jurisdiction over them. So that's all, you know, a big mess with all of that. But it doesn't offer any protection for private businesses, large or small. It was specifically just for the state agencies uh, that are in his cabinet. And so that's, of course, you know, the DMV and, and places such as that. So there's still a lot to be done here in South Carolina. McMaster, I think, I've heard he's going to run again. If if he is going to run again, he can't do 
this kind of ride in the fence kind of thing. He's going to have to come out and speak much more strongly. And he's also been kind of hiding out in his in his mansion, governor's mansion, for the last couple of weeks as a lot of this has been happening and just not taking an active stand. You know, people are looking at Ron DeSantis and they're looking and, and this is this is the post Trump era, which means we're never going back to Mitt Romney. We're never going back to these milk toast politicians who we've allowed for the last few decades to just kind of kick the can down the road, so to speak. We're never going back to that. We want leaders who are strong, who stand for the issues that we believe in, who will come out and speak strongly on the issues that we believe in. And McMaster has done some of that, but then there's not been a lot of follow-up. There's not been strong follow-up. There's not been consistent follow-up. And so you're you're seeing that out of Ron DeSantis, and that's why the countrywide conservatives call him America's governor. Because they really love what they're seeing out of Ron DeSantis. And that should be a note to all of the other governors across the country on what the American people, what Republicans, conservatives, Americanists, what they want to see in their leaders. We'll talk more about that uh, coming up. Hi, this is Bob of Bob Sloan Audio Productions. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself? Do you have a desire to communicate an idea, opinion, or even a hobby or interest you'd like to share with the world? And do you have the communication skill and dedication? If so, let's talk. Send an email and a short description of your idea to bob at bobsloan.com. That's bob at b-o-b-s-l-o-n-e dot com. Now let's get back to the podcast. All right, back from our break. I want us to dive into Virginia and what happened in Virginia this week. So, of course, we had the race on Tuesday, the election, and Virginians showed up and completely rejected everything progressive this week. These are the stats out of Virginia, and this is comparing 2020 with Trump's numbers to 2021. So in Virginia in 2020, white women, 50 percent went to Biden 49% went to Trump. Virginia, 2021, white women, 57% went to Youngkin, 43% to McAuliffe. This was a 15-point swing in one year among white women. Mama Bear showed up and said, You will not indoctrinate my children with racist, anti-American garbage. You will not shove me out of the classroom. You will not call me a terrorist. You will not shove sexual perversion onto my child. And you for sure will not allow the rape and cover-up of our daughters over my dead body. It was a resounding rejection of the progressive agenda by white women. Specifically in Loudoun County, there was a 19-point swing to the GOP compared to 2020. And of course, you can't mention that without giving a huge thanks uh, to go to the Daily Wire journalist Luke uh, Rosiak, who pried the truth out of Loudoun County and now Fairfax County as stuff is coming out from there as well. They blew that story wide open, specifically Luke Rosiak, and they deserve all of the credit. Luke deserves all the credit. Uh, major props to them. But in your red state, what does this mean? Every conservative policy should be on the table, legislatively right now. Look, 
If the Democrats can aggressively pursue their radical, leftist, Marxist agenda without a modicum of restraint, and it causes this kind of backlash, then conservatives are free to aggressively pursue some of the legislation that we've been told is too radical for our base. When the gloves came off the progressive agenda and the Democrat Party no longer tried to disguise their agenda behind distortion and deception— Virginians rejected it. Now is the time for conservative policies. It is the opportune time to run the table with conservative policies, which, to be honest, some states have already been doing this last legislative cycle. They've already started this. Because the people are rising up and resoundly repudiating the progressive agenda being shoved down their throat. If not now, when? Furthermore, Republicans continue, continue to make inroads with the Latino community in Virginia without acquiescing on amnesty at all. Fox News exit polling from Virginia showed Youngkin won Latinos by 11 points, 55% Youngkin to 44% McAuliffe. In addition, a South Texas uh, town flipped from blue to red this week despite the town being 75% Hispanic. Of course, I have to also mention that the Virginia, of course, elected their first Hispanic attorney general and first black lieutenant governor. I think Cuban is technically the attorney general. So many of the leftist talking points are being debunked. They're talking points about how racist and misogynistic the GOP is and how amnesty is the only way forward to win the Latino vote, which even the GOP has caved on for the most part. Most Republicans in office have embraced the idea, you know what, we just, we're going to have to have amnesty. This is a resounding repudiation of that. Let's compare the Yunkin results to Trump's in 2020, in addition to adding the 11 points of Hispanic voters. So in addition to that, you've got a plus three black voters. He added nine points for women. Eight points for suburbans and 12 points rural voters and higher rural rural turnout percentage of the electorate. So the percentage of the electorate that was rural increased 12 points. Look, Youngkin rebuilt the traditional GOP coalition, the mainly white suburban voters, while adding Trump's rural base and making inroads with the Hispanic voters. And how did Youngkin do it? By running on the culture war issues that prior to Trump, the old guard GOP said you could never win on. And this was Steve Dace's take on it, and I agree with him. Youngkin showed that you can marry the issues Trump championed with a softer personality. Meaning, You don't have to be as divisive in personality as Trump was to win on the same issues that Trump ran on. This is obviously a winning combination. Now, it does remain to be seen how Youngkin will actually govern. Is he going to be a DeSantis? Is he going to be uh, an Abbott? Although I think Abbott has not been as strong as DeSantis, and I have some issues with Abbott. Uh, or is he going to be, you know, a Whitmer? Is is he going to be one of these weaker Republican governors that we see? But this race demonstrated that Virginians care about the culture war issues. 
I believe most Republican voters, at least in the past 20 years that I've been paying attention, have been waiting for a candidate who was willing to run on the issues they cared about. It's why they were willing to put up with Trump's divisive personality. I think the Youngkin win shows that it's always been about the issues for conservatives. And when a candidate is willing to speak clearly on and stand strongly for those issues, Americans will turn out. Trump got in his own way. And I think this also shows that for most Americans, it wasn't about loving Trump so much and his bulldog persona. He was just the first guy that came along that was willing to actually stand for the things we cared about. Now, you have Youngkin speaking those things, on speaking to those same issues without the Trump personality that so many leftists and never-Trumpers said attracted Trump's voter base and was indicative of his voter base. And people turned out in even greater numbers for Youngkin. So, in my opinion, this thing, this Youngkin win debunks two things. At least two things. First, you can run on the issues and win. And two, Trump's persona was not emblematic of his average supporter. Rather, they tolerated his persona in order to have someone who actually ran on the issues they cared about. And see, this was the thing, like I said, the leftists and the never-Trumpers, they were always they were always saying or attacking the Trump, the conservatives who voted for Trump and making it out like we were all just loved his personality and loved how divisive. And look, those guys are out there. Some people really loved how he would kind of go to the mattresses to, to quote the Godfather on some of these issues. No holds barred. But he he it was it, there was times when he got in his own way with his personality. Let's all just be honest about that. And I think the majority of Americans who voted for him realized that. And it wasn't the personality that drew them. It was the policies. And Youngkin, I think, reveals that and reveals that you don't have to have Donald Trump's personality to win people over. It's all about the policies. He ran on the policies and he was willing to speak to those policies and we will see how he governs and if he's willing to stand for them. So what does this mean now? Four things from various folks uh, that were on Twitter this week. One was from Dave Rubin. No fear. He tweeted this. He said, the real signal after Virginia is to stop fearing these hysterical, power-hungry, progressive lunatics. Take off your masks. Don't let them inject your children and go about your life. And then, of course, he added on the also let's go Brandon thing, which we talked about, I think, last week. He's right. Don't live in fear. We are the the mood in the room is in our favor right now. And we can beat them with our votes. Number two from Julie Kelly at American Greatness. She said, don't underestimate the remorse vote of upscale suburban Biden voters. They traded mean tweets for a country unrecognizable from a year ago. Too late now, but these voters are quasi mea culpa. The leftists have gone so crazy, end quote. The leftists have gone so crazy that the suburban white women no longer feel dirty. These are my words. They no longer feel dirty voting for the things they agreed with Trump on. See, previously, I think there was a lot of white suburban women who agreed with Donald Trump, but because of his personality, they, they just could not compel themselves to vote in favor of him. And 
and so they 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 just felt dirty doing it and they couldn't do it but now youngkin has shown that they can vote for those same things and of course now there's also remorse because of how bad things are in the country right now so you have a combination of both of those driving these women out to the polls to vote for youngkin Number three, Clay Travis, he tweeted, uh, Minneapolis has soundly rejected a referendum to defund that pol- the police. The woke agenda is getting destroyed all over the country tonight. Sanity is finally starting to win. And then number four, and this one was from Steve Dace. Yes, but we must understand the zealotry driving this will not be deterred by election losses. Otherwise, they would have moderated at some point prior to the vote to preserve themselves. This is a will to power, so the vote must be the first step of our vigilance, not the final one. End quote. The Democrats, and this this is what he means by that, and I agree 100%, and he made that tweet, I guess, either Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, sometime around in there. He put that tweet out, and we have, he's been proven right in the days since, and I'll dive into that. The Democrats, though, they are not reassessing their strategy in preparation of moving forward. Look, if they were going to reassess, they would have already done it already because, the, you know, the, this was all in the wind as they were leading up to the elections in Virginia and across the country. You could stick your finger in the, you know, lick your finger and put it in the air and see which way the winds were blowing that a lot of these policies and a lot of this rhetoric coming from the left was not in their favor. The polling has been abysmal on these things. But did they check themselves? No, they just went even harder on these things. And prior to the election, okay? So if they were worried about these things, if they were going to reassess, they would have already done it before Tuesday, and they wouldn't be wouldn't have been out there tweeting about how white supremacists won Youngkin the governorship and how racist Virginia is, despite handing the lieutenant governorship to a black woman and the state AG position to a Hispanic, and that they're also a bunch of misogynists, even though, again, the lieutenant governorship went to a woman. They have no self-awareness. The war is not won. Not even 48 hours after losing, quote, bigly in Virginia, the Biden administration doubled down on its medical tyranny. We've just achieved victory in this particular battle. I know it's daunting, but do not grow weary in doing good. I was talking to my mom this morning as I was getting ready to come in and record this podcast. And and of course, I believe it's two things. One. Because she asked me, she's like, how, how do they not reassess? Why do they, how are they, why are they just doubling down even further on this stuff? And first of all, you don't have to if you're going to cheat. <laughs> the numbers don't matter if you're going to cheat. And I do think there was some cheating in 2020. And, you know, I, I think that for every, every election, there should be an audit. Doesn't matter who wins, doesn't matter where it's at. There should be audits because... The American people do not have faith in their elections, and we need to reestablish that. But primarily, even if there isn't cheating in a particular district or polling place or just whatever, primarily, it's a spiritual blindness. They're just spiritually blind, in my opinion. That's why they they don't reassess. That's why they double down on these kind of things. 
medical tyranny, sexual perversion in the classroom, critical race theory, and the concealment of a rape, and a lot of these other issues that we're facing right now, they are evil. And we will be at war with evil until the return of Christ. The political arena is just one area where Christians must do battle against evil. I say that because we must prepare ourselves to do battle in every arena of life, every day, for all of our days, against the prince of the power of the air. Know this, whoever is most committed will win. Christians, we must be more committed. So, every day, gird yourselves with the whole armor of God. Be in prayer without ceasing to the God of the universe who is not surprised by the happenings of this world. Read his word that you may be well equipped to discern good and evil. Only by using the plumb line of scripture can we rightly discern good and evil and thereby rightly pursue good. This is a bit of a long quote from Charles Spurgeon, but I'm going to close with this. He said, Perhaps you think if I were in a more favorable position, I might serve the Lord's cause, but I cannot do any good where I am. But the worse the people are among whom you live, the more need have they of your exertions. If they be crooked, the more necessity that you should set them straight. And if they be perverse, the more need have you to turn their proud hearts to the truth. Where should the physician be? but where there are many sick. Where is honor to be won by the soldier, but in the hottest fire of the battle? And when weary of the strife and sin that meets you on every hand, consider that all the saints have endured the same trial. They were not carried on beds of down to heaven, and you must not expect to travel more easily than they. They had to hazard their lives unto the death in the high places of the field, and you will not be crowned till you also have endured hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Therefore, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannahmillershow.com.